Section 1 of Walking. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Allison Hester of Athens, Georgia. Walking by Henry David Thoreau. Section 1. I wish to speak a word for nature, for absolute freedom and wildness, as contrasted with a freedom in culture merely civil. To regard man as an inhabitant, or a part and parcel of nature, rather than a member of society. I wish to make an extreme statement. If so, I may make an emphatic one, for there are enough champions of civilization. The minister and the school committee and every one of you will take care of that. I have met with but one or two persons in the course of my life who understood the art of walking, that is, of taking walks, who had a genius, so to speak, for sauntering, which word is beautifully derived from idle people who roved about the country in the Middle Ages and asked charity under pretense of going a la Santier to the Holy Land, till the children exclaimed, there goes a Santier, a saunterer, a Holy Lander. They who never go to the Holy Land in their walks, as they pretend, are indeed mere idlers and vagabonds. But they who do go there are saunterers in the good sense, such as I mean. Some, however, would derive the word from sans terre, without land or a home, which, therefore, in the good sense, will mean having no particular home, but equally at home everywhere. For this is the secret of successful sauntering. He who sits still in a house all the time may be the greatest vagrant of all, but the saunterer, in the good sense, is no more vagrant than the meandering river, which is all the while sedulously seeking the shortest course to the sea. But I prefer the first, which indeed is the more probable derivation. For every walk is a sort of crusade, preached by some Peter the Hermit in us, to go forth and reconquer this holy land from the hands of the infidels. It is true, we are but faint-hearted crusaders. Even the walkers nowadays, who undertake no persevering, never-ending enterprises. Our expeditions are but tours and come round again at the evening to the old hearthside from which we set out. Half the walk is but retracing our steps. We should go forth on the shortest walk, perchance, in the spirit of undying adventure, never to return, prepared to send back our embalmed hearts only as relics to our desolate kingdoms, if you are ready to leave father and mother and brother and sister and wife and child and friends and never see them again, if you have paid your debts and made your will and settled all your affairs and are a free man, then you are ready for a walk. To come down to my own experience, my companion and I, for I sometimes have a companion, take pleasure in fancying ourselves knights of a new, or rather an old, order, not equestrians or chevaliers, not ridders or riders, but walkers, a still more ancient and honorable class, I trust.
The chivalric and heroic spirit which once belonged to the writer seems now to reside in, or perchance to have subsided into, the walker. Not the knight, but walker errant. He is a sort of fourth estate, outside of church and state and people. We have felt that we almost alone hereabouts practiced this noble art, though to tell the truth, at least if their own assertions are to be received, most of my townsmen would fain walk sometimes, as I do, but they cannot. No wealth can buy the requisite leisure, freedom, and independence, which are the capital in this profession. It only comes by the grace of God. It requires a direct dispensation from heaven to become a walker. You must be born into the family of the walkers, ambulator, nascitor, and non-fit. Some of my townsmen, it is true, can remember and have described to me some walks which they took 10 years ago, in which they were so blessed as to lose themselves for half an hour in the woods. But I know very well that they have confined themselves to the highway ever since, whatever pretensions they may make to belong to this select class. No doubt they were elevated for a moment by the reminiscence of a previous state of existence when even they were foresters and outlaws. When he came to Green Wode in a merry morning, there he heard the notes small of birds merry singing. It is fairy gone, said Robin, that I was last here. Me list a litel for to shoot at the Donna Deer. I think that I cannot preserve my health and spirits unless I spend four hours a day at least, and it is commonly more than that, sauntering through the woods and over the hills and fields, absolutely free from all worldly engagements. You may safely say a penny for your thoughts or a thousand pounds. When sometimes I am reminded that the mechanics and shopkeepers stay in their shops, not only for all the forenoon, but all the afternoon too, sitting with crossed legs, so many of them, as if the legs were made to sit upon and not stand or walk upon, I think that they deserve some credit for not having all committed suicide long ago. I, who cannot stay in my chamber for a single day without acquiring some rust, and when sometimes I have stolen forth for a walk at the 11th hour or four o'clock in the afternoon, too late to redeem the day, when the shades of night were already beginning to be mingled with the daylight, have felt as if I had committed some sin to be atoned for. I confess that I am astonished at the power of endurance to say nothing of the moral insensibility of my neighbors who confine themselves to shops and offices the whole day for weeks and months, I and years almost together. I know not what manner of stuff they are of, sitting there now at three o'clock in the afternoon, as if it were three o'clock in the morning. Bonaparte may talk of the three o'clock in the morning courage, but it is nothing to the courage which can sit down cheerfully at this hour in the afternoon over against one's self, whom you have known all morning, to starve out a garrison to whom you are bound by such strong ties of sympathy. I wonder that about this time, or 
say between four and five o'clock in the afternoon. Too late for the morning papers and too early for the evening ones. There is not a general explosion heard up and down the street, scattering a legion of antiquated and housebred notions and whims to the four winds for an airing. And so the evil cure itself. How womankind, who are confined to the house still more than men, stand it, I do not know. But I have ground to suspect that most of them do not stand it at all. When early in a summer afternoon, we have been shaking the dust of the village from the skirts of our garments, making haste past those houses with purely Doric or Gothic fronts, which have such an air of repose about them, my companion whispers that probably about these times, their occupants are all gone to bed. Then it is that I appreciate the beauty and the glory of architecture, which itself never turns in, but forever stands out and erect, keeping watch over the slumberers. No doubt temperament and above all age have a good deal to do with it. As a man grows older, his ability to sit still and follow indoor occupations increases. He grows vespertinal in his habits as the evening of life approaches till at last he comes forth only just before sundown and gets all the walk that he requires in half an hour. But the walking of which I speak has nothing in it akin to taking exercise, as it is called, as the sick take medicine at stated hours, as the swinging of dumbbells or chairs, but is itself the enterprise and adventure of the day. If you would get exercise, Go in search of the springs of life. Think of a man's swinging dumbbells for his health when those springs are bubbling up in far off pastures unsought by him. Moreover, you must walk like a camel, which is said to be the only beast which ruminates when walking. When a traveler asked Wordsworth's servant to show him her master's study, she answered, here is his library, but his study is out of doors. Living much out of doors, in the sun and wind, will no doubt produce a certain roughness of character, will cause a thicker cuticle to grow over some of the finer qualities of our nature, as on the face and hands, or as severe manual labor robs the hands of some of their delicacy of touch. So staying in the house, on the other hand, may produce a softness and smoothness, not to say thinness of skin, accompanied by an increased sensibility to certain impressions. Perhaps we should be more susceptible to some influences important to our intellectual and moral growth. If the sun had shone and the wind blown on us a little less, and no doubt it is a nice matter to proportion rightly the thick and thin skin, but methinks that is a scurf that will fall off fast enough that the natural remedy is to be found in the proportion which the night bears to the day, the winter to the summer, thought to experience. There will be so much more the air and sunshine in our thoughts. The callous palms of the laborer are conversant with finer tissues of self-respect and heroism, whose touch thrills the heart than the languid fingers of idleness. That is mere sentimentality that lies abed by day and thinks itself white, far from the tan and callous of experience. When we walk, 
we naturally go to the fields and woods. What would become of us if we walked only in a garden or a mall? Even some sects of philosophers have felt the necessity of importing the woods to themselves since they did not go to the woods. They planted groves and walks of platanes where they took subdeals ambulations and porticos open to the air. Of course, it is of no use to direct our steps to the woods if they do not carry us thither. I am alarmed when it happens that I have walked a mile into the woods bodily without getting there in spirit. In my afternoon walk, I would fain forget all morning occupations and my obligations to society, but it sometimes happens that I cannot easily shake off the village. The thought of some work will run in my head, and I am not where my body is. I am out of my senses. In my walks, I would fain return to my senses. What business have I in the woods if I am thinking of something out of the woods? I suspect myself cannot help a shudder when I find myself so implicated even in what are called good works, for this may sometimes happen. My vicinity affords many good walks, and though for so many years I have walked almost every day, and sometimes for several days together, I have not yet exhausted them. An absolutely new prospect is a great happiness, and I can still get this any afternoon. Two or three hours walking will carry me to as strange a country as I expect ever to see. A single farmhouse, which I had not seen before, is sometimes as good as the dominions of the king of Dahomey. There is, in fact, a sort of harmony discoverable between the capabilities of the landscape within a circle of 10 miles radius or the limits of an afternoon walk and the threescore years and 10 of human life. It will never become quite familiar to you. Nowadays, almost all man's improvements, so-called as the building of houses and the cutting down of the forest and of all large trees, simply deform the landscape and make it more and more tame and cheap. A people who would begin by burning the fences and let the forests stand. I saw the fences half consumed, their ends lost in the middle of the prairie, and some worldly miser with a surveyor looking at his bounds, while heaven had taken place around him, and he did not see the angels going to and fro, but was looking for an old post hole in the midst of paradise. I looked again and saw him standing in the middle of a boggy Stygian fin, surrounded by devils, and he had found his bounds without a doubt. Three little stones where a stake had been driven, and looking nearer, I saw that the Prince of Darkness was his surveyor. I can easily walk 10, 15, 20, any number of miles commencing at my own door without going by any house, without crossing a road except where the fox and the mink do, first along by the river, then the brook, and then the meadow and the woodside. There are square miles in my vicinity which have no inhabitant. From many a hill I can see civilization and the abodes of men afar, the farmers and their works are scarcely more obvious than woodchucks and their burrows. Man and his affairs, church and state and school, 
trade and commerce, and manufactures and agriculture, even politics, the most alarming of them all. I am pleased to see how little space they occupy in the landscape. Politics is but a narrow field, and that still narrower highway yonder leads to it. I sometimes direct the traveler thither. If you would go to the political world, follow the great road, follow that market man, keep dust in your eyes, and it will lead you straight to it, for it too has its place merely and does not occupy all space. I pass from it as from a bean field into the forest, and it is forgotten. In one half hour, I can walk off to some portion of the earth's surface where a man does not stand from one year's end to another, and there, consequently, politics are not, for they are but as the cigar smoke of a man. The village is the place to which the roads tend a sort of expansion of the highway, as a lake of a river. It is the body of which roads are the arms and legs, a trivial or quadrivial place, the thoroughfare and ordinary of travelers. The word is from the Latin villa, which together with via, a way, or more anciently, ved and vela, varo derives from viho, to carry because the villa is the place to and from which things are carried. They who got their living by teeming were velaturam facer, hence to the Latin word villis and our vile, also villain. This suggests what kind of degeneracy villagers are liable to. They are way worn by the travel that goes by and over them without traveling themselves. Some do not walk at all. Others walk in the highways. A few walk across lots. Roads are made for horses and men of business. I do not travel them much, comparatively, because I am not in a hurry to get to any tavern or grocery or livery stable or depot to which they lead. I am a good horse to travel, but not from choice a roadster. The landscape painter uses the figures of men to mark a road. He would not make that use of my figure. I walk out into a nature such as the old prophets and the poets, Menu, Moses, Homer, and Chaucer walked in. You may name it America, but it is not America. Neither Americus, Vespucius, nor Columbus, nor the rest were discoverers of it. There is a truer amount of it in mythology than in any history of America, so-called, that I have seen. However, there are a few old roads that may be trodden with profit, as if they led somewhere now that they are nearly discontinued. There is the old Marlborough Road, which does not go to Marlborough now, methinks, unless that is Marlborough where it carries me. I am the bolder to speak of it here, because I presume that there are one or two such roads in every town. The Old Marlborough Road. Where they once dug for money, but never found any. Where sometimes Marshall Miles, Singly Files, and Elijah Wood, I fear for no good. No other man, save Elisha Dugan, 
O man of wild habits, partridges and rabbits, who hast no cares, only to set snares, who livest all alone, close to the bone, and where life is sweetest, constantly eatest. When the spring stirs my blood with the instinct to travel, I can get enough gravel on the old Marlboro Road. Nobody repairs it, for nobody wears it. It is a living way, as the Christians say. Not many there be who enter therein, only the guests of the Irishman Quinn. What is it, what is it, but a direction out there and the bare possibility of going somewhere? Great guide, boards of stone, but travelers none. Cenotaphs of the town, named on their crowns. It is worth going to see where you might be. What king did the thing? I am still wondering. Set up how or when? By what selectmen? Gorgas or Lee? Clark or Darby? They're a great endeavor to be something forever. Blank tablets of stone where a traveler might groan and in one sentence, grave all that is known, which another might read in his extreme need. I know one or two lines that would do literature that might stand all over the land, which a man could remember till next December and read again in the spring after the thawing. If with fancy unfurled, you leave your abode, you may go round the world by the old Marlboro Road. End of section one.